Will you join me please in Ephesians chapter 6 tonight? It's the 98th time I've said that. And yet I still can't find the book. Yeah, really inspires confidence in your pastor. Ephesians chapter 6, as we keep excavating Ephesians on Wednesday night, after examining the armor of God for several months, we are now ready to move on, but not entirely, as you'll see after we read the text. Would you look with me, please, in verses 18 through 20? The Bible says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Last week we considered verse 18, and I reckon it was more of a flyover. We certainly could have went way deeper than we did on the subject of prayer. We could spend a lot of time there. We could do a mini-series on prayer within the mini-series on the armor of God, within the main series of Ephesians. And I didn't want to end up in that position, even though you're more than capable of that. I used last week to conclude the armor of God, but we see that verse 19 actually flows out as a result of verse 18. The command is given in verse 18 to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Then the Apostle Paul adds a personal prayer request in verses 19 and 20. Before we break down his prayer request, which I learned as I was studying will be next week, I want to just consider these first three words of verse number 19. Paul says, and for me, and for me. And we can draw a lot out of that little phrase. I'm going to try to keep it within this message. After emphasizing their need to be praying for all saints with all perseverance, Paul is now speaking to the Ephesians to pray for him. And it's this prayer request I notice right away that we need to be willing to become vulnerable. Because none of us are super Christians. What I mean by becoming vulnerable is opening yourself up to admit that you are in need of prayer. It's me. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have actually had people say to me, I don't want your prayers. People have said things like this, don't waste your prayers on me. How foolish. But you know what? Some Christians, while they don't say the same words, they display the same foolishness by not outwardly admitting to the saints that they need prayer. And I don't mean generically need prayer, but I mean being specific about the prayer need. Because some try to put this image out there that they are some kind of super Christian. 
who always has it all together. And as a result, they never announce what their need is. Because they don't want there to be the perception of weakness somewhere in their life. It's because of pride. They think they have built themselves up into one who is viewed by others as someone who has actually risen above being weak and in need of prayers by others. It's the same reason we don't find people coming to the altar and kneeling like they know they should. People naturally don't want to come across as weak. I've noticed from this view now, People tend to not respond when the message gets really personal in a fundamental area. Because they don't want to be viewed by others as, oh, they're going to the altar and he just talked about tithing. Right? Pick the subject. I just threw that one because that gets most people aggravated. Well, he just preached on it and if I go to the altar, it's going to look suspicious. How prideful. What does the Bible say in Psalm 95.6? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And in verse 8, it goes on to say, Harden not your hearts. The lack of being vulnerable before the saints in admitting the need of prayer is because of pride in hard hearts. When's the last time you kneeled before God? When's the last time you requested prayer from the saints? And listen, I'm, I'm talking about serious issues in life. I don't want to hear on Wednesday night that you need prayer because you got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you stubbed your toe. Amen, I just don't want to waste time on that. Now, you can come to me afterwards and tell me that, and I'll pray for you. We'll stop right there, and we'll pray for your toe. I'll take those kind of prayer requests from children all day long. I want to encourage them. But I hope as adults you have more discernment. So I'm talking about some major things here. Those vulnerable areas. But listen, some people will take it to the other extreme. They have a major need in their life, but because they refuse to be vulnerable, you'll never know it. And here's what sometimes will end up happening is, they'll leave the church and they'll say things like, no one there ever cared for me. No one was ever there. Well, wait just a minute. You have to admit there's a weakness. Then you have to swallow your pride and you have to announce the prayer request for that weakness. You cannot magically expect people to know what it is you need prayer for. You have to become vulnerable. Paul here, he's becoming vulnerable. Maybe stated better would be, Paul's being transparent. He's letting them know he needs their prayers, and then he details the need. He doesn't shy away from it. 
Paul had proclaimed the Word of God many times over by the time he asked for this prayer request. He's at the end of his life. He's done it so many times. He knows how to preach. He knows how to give the Word of God. And yet the prayer request is that he would be given utterance so that he could open his mouth boldly. And and what I see from that is Paul, he's not resting in his own abilities. And how many times have we heard it? A need comes up and in our own resourcefulness we fix it. And some people will say, well, I guess I can pray. Huh? Brother Jones, it might have been you. Did you say recently that should be the first thing we do? He's not trusting his abilities. He's not trusting his past experiences. But he looks to the saints. He said, I need you to pray for me. And we find Paul in his writings, he admits his weaknesses. He talks about his needs. When we read about Paul desiring from the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh, remember that he said it was given to him lest he should be exalted above measure. And in fact, he says twice in one verse that very thing in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul opened up to the Corinthians. He became vulnerable about what his need was because Paul knew somewhere deep down he was capable of letting pride get the best of him if he wasn't humbled in some way. Now his vulnerability is recorded for all of us to read. Aren't you glad we're not the ones that were written about? And if you think about Paul's life before Christ, you can see how this would be the case. Remember that he was a rising star among the religious elites of his day. He was a Pharisee. And it would be easy for him to revert back to that mindset as he began to be elevated within Christianity. We find in his letter to the Philippians how he could have easily become prone to pridefulness. He wrote in Philippians 3, 4 through 7, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he had whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Paul had within his flesh the ability to glory if he wanted to. He wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. And he goes on to list what kind of things he went through for Christ. And of course, God knew his weakness. The Father gave him a thorn in the flesh in order to keep him humble. To keep him from being exalted above measure. And I think personally, you can disagree with this, but I think personally we could make the case 
that there were times that Paul struggled with depression. He talks about those who deserted him, those that turned away from him. Let me give you just a couple things to consider here as he wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.15, he said, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. 2 Timothy 4.9-11, he said, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me. Having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica, Christians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. And then when he was on trial, he wrote in 2 Timothy 4.16, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. These are the words of a preacher writing to the next generation of preachers. And Paul wanted Timothy to hold fast to sound doctrine. To endure afflictions. Because he knew that the day was coming that they would turn their ears away from the truth. And I believe in that letter we're getting some inside baseball, if you will. We're getting insider information from one preacher to another. And you get a glimpse into some of the heartaches that a preacher and a pastor go through. And as a, pre- as a preacher of the gospel, it can be depressing when the response heads in the opposite direction of what you intended it to be. It can be depressing when those who once stood with you depart suddenly. And my point is that in these situations, we find that Paul is no different than us. This is important to know because sometimes we get guilty to looking at these who were greatly used of God in the Bible and we think they were these kind of super Christians who somehow possessed something better than we have. Paul was a great man of God. But he did not possess superhuman abilities. In fact, listen to how Paul writes of himself. He says in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He describes in Romans chapter 7 how what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. And he concludes this in Romans 7.24, O wretched man that I am! And in chapter 3 of this letter, he says, Unto me who am least than all the saints. Now, that ought to make you feel a little bit better. Not because we want to celebrate another man's weakness. But we can take comfort in knowing that the Apostle Paul was a man of like passions. He battled his flesh just like we do. And so he understood the wisdom of having others pray for him. This is why he could write under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in Romans 12.3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And in Galatians he wrote, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, He deceiveth Himself. We all need prayer. 
None of us are to the place where we're going to come to a struggle, we're going to come to a circumstances in, in life that we don't need prayer. God's going to keep bringing us to circumstances that are far greater than we are. And we can never allow pride to blind us. Please don't get to the place where you're allowing pride to keep you from saying, and for me, I need your prayers. Please don't turn inwardly and try to live this Christian life without letting the saints know how to pray for you. Yesterday, I attended a pastor's fellowship in Buffalo, Wyoming. And I was pleased, in a sense, wasn't pleased with the situation, but I was pleased that a man of God got up and said in front of a group of other preachers and pastors that he needed prayer because his wayward son was on the cusp of coming home. And he just wanted prayer that he would handle that situation correctly. And I'm thankful for Pastor Robertson's leadership and all the men joined hands and prayed around him. It takes humility for a preacher to admit that there's a wayward son. Because for some reason, there's this expectation that preacher's kids are never supposed to struggle. And if they do, then surely dad did something wrong as the preacher. In this case, this man has a son pastoring in Wyoming as well. He must have done something right. But for some reason, people tend to draw the conclusion that something was wrong. No, it could just be that everybody has a free will. And they have to make their own decisions. But I've seen it when someone has a wayward child. They try to bury it. They try to hide it. And they never want to mention it because they don't want to be vulnerable. And so it becomes this outlawed subject that nobody touches. We don't dare mention it. And guess what? The parents never do get peace. Because there's never victory. And could it be it's because they've turned inward and they've refused to enlist the prayers of the saints? Now think about this. In our text, Paul is approaching the end of his life. These are his prison epistles and he is still recognizing his need of prayer and the prayer of others. He's an aged man, been in the ministry a long time. He's seen a lot of things. His life was not one which led him to think that he had figured it all out well enough that he no longer needed prayer. But it led him to realize just how much he still needed prayer. I can't remember who I said this to yesterday, but we were talking and the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. He didn't become mechanized. He, it wasn't mechanical. He didn't let the routine crowd out the need for prayer. Now listen to me, Wednesday night crowd. We're the ones that will get in the routine. And we'll show up Sunday morning never prayed for services. We start trusting the routine. We find after Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, when he was still known as Saul of Tarsus, 
But the very first thing the Bible records of him doing is praying. The Bible says in Acts 9.11, And the Lord said unto him, speaking to Ananias, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. His Christian life began with prayer, and we find in his epistles written in the twilight of his life that he is still a praying man. So he not only wants others to learn the importance of a prayer life, but he wants others praying for him. And I'm just saying, don't get so big-headed that you don't ask for prayer. I'm amazed. It's like the more... The more mature we think we're getting in Christ, the less we want to approach for prayer. I spoke to a young man Sunday morning. Some of y'all may know what I'm talking about. Man, he doesn't know what you know. But you know what? He came down and he said, I just need to know how to get victory in my life over this. Something about the innocence of a child. He's a grown man, but something about the innocence of a child in the faith that will just say, will you please help me? And here we are, we're supposed to be helping one another. But we can't swallow our pride enough to say, this is what I need help with. And if we're not mindful of what we all really are, we can get to the place where we think this particular person over here doesn't need our prayers as much as this person over here. And I can imagine these in Ephesus reading this letter from the great Apostle Paul in the early days of Christianity, if you will, the early days of the church, maybe I should put it that way, getting this letter from the Apostle Paul and thinking, Paul, you don't need our prayers, but we need prayer from you. But would you get this, please? Oftentimes, those who we may think need prayer the least are the very ones who actually need prayer the most. I may mention some of this again next week when we actually consider what it is Paul is praying for. We won't have time to get to it tonight. But I want to touch on it briefly for just a moment. In short, we could say what Paul is praying for is he wants to be effective in Christ. He wants to effectively reach others. He wants to be able to effectively communicate the gospel. We could say that would be his prayer request. It's commonly stated that Spurgeon was likely the greatest preacher of the latter half of the 19th century. And because of this, many people don't know how desperately he stood in the need of prayer. If you study his life, which I've done more of of late, if you, if you study his life beyond the pulpit, you'll easily learn that while he was mighty in preaching, he battled seasons of great depression in his life. For example, at the age of 37, in the year 1871, he took three months off from preaching due to his depression. And he wrote the following to his congregation. Dear friends, the furnace still blows around me. Since I last preached to you, I have been brought very low. 
My flesh has been tortured with pain and my spirit has been prostrate with depression. You do pray for me, I know, but I entreat you not to cease your supplications. I am as a potter's vessel when it is utterly broken, useless and laid aside. Nights of watching and days of weeping have been mine, but I hope the cloud is passing. In this relative trial, a very keen one, I ask again for your prayers. The Lord be with you evermore. Amen. So praise your suffering pastor, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. That was written from a man who became known as the Prince of Preachers. And we think of these great men of the past and we think how they didn't need prayer, but somebody would be blessed if they prayed for them. And yet here's a man that suffered greatly. And, and after that point, I understand he would take long periods of time off. And, and he wrote that after he had pastored those same folks for 17 years. And from his letter, we see that it was hu- his humility that led to his vulnerability. And I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity because I don't often do this. I know I'm guilty of not requesting your prayers enough. Because I don't ever want to come across like I think I'm something. Or that somehow I think I need prayers more than you need them. But I do want to ask you to please pray for me as your pastor. Here's something to take in. Charles Spurgeon preached to thousands every week. Very effectively. People from all walks of life came to hear him. From the lowest to the highest. Members of parliament would come. And even members of the royal family. And as a result, he was asked one day how he accounted for such effectiveness in his preaching. And this was his answer. My people, pray for me. And I ask you with all humility. Do you pray for me? Do you pray for me before the services, during the services, after the services? Hey, listen up. That's why you're not getting anything out of it. You're not praying. Do you pray for our church? Do you? If you love our church, you will. It is said that when people would walk through the Metropolitan Tabernacle, where he pastored, he would take them to the basement room where people were always on their knees praying while he preached. And then he would say, this is the powerhouse of our church. In his autobiography, he describes his gratefulness for being blessed with such a praying people. He said, quote, I always give all the glory to God. But I do not forget that He gave me the privilege of ministering to a praying people. We had prayer meetings that moved our very souls. Each one appeared determined to storm the celestial city by the might of intercession. End quote. He also wrote this. Shall I give you yet another reason why you should pray? I preached my very heart out. I cannot say any more than I have said. Will not your prayers accomplish that which my preaching fails to do? 
Is it not likely that the church has been putting forth its preaching hand, but not its praying hand? Oh, dear friends, let us agonize in prayer. There's no doubt in my mind that our prayer meeting on Wednesday night is the most important service we have. And it's the lowest attended. I have no doubt that our men's prayer meeting is one of the most important meetings we have. And yet some of you have never been. I have no doubt at ladies' meeting that their prayers are important. Our prayer meetings are the spiritual gauge of our church. My dad used to say, drive to a church and observe the parking lot on Wednesday night. That's the heart of the church. How many of you understand that this service is the most important? If you believe that, are you earnest in prayer? Or do you pray quickly enough to get out in a four-year to fellowship? Well, we need the prayers of the saints in our life. If we're going to be more effective than we've ever been for Christ, we need the prayers of one another. We need to go before God when these prayer requests are given. We need to keep praying over them. Please pray for your pastor. Please pray for your church. If we really want to reach lost souls, if we really want to be effective in Rapid City, then we must be a people of prayer. The Apostle Paul wrote, and for me, and for me. Don't ever underestimate the power of the prayer of the saints for each other. Let's pray.